true in your lives. Um, I'm just going to pray for Wally as he comes. Father God, we're just going to trust in you this morning that we will hear from you because you you want to talk, you want to say, you want to save, you want to change, you want to free and uh, we will rest in that this morning and we are going to hope to hear you speak the words we need to hear this morning and we just ask for a blessing on Wally that uh, as he comes he may speak your words to us and that we may be a changed people, your loving children, loved and loving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Annalie and Reuben, for leading us in worship. It's a it's wonderful to be able to still do that in the midst of this season, isn't it? Um, I was at home uh, last week. I was able to experience church from my lounge room for the first time and uh, I must admit it was absolutely wonderful to be able to worship and to turn up the volume and to sit there and I'll be honest, I was playing Lego with my two boys, entertaining them while we were watching, but just to be able to sing out and to sing a praise to our God was amazing. And I know I find that the songs that we sing here on a Sunday often go with me for the rest of the week. Uh, they're, they're songs that I sing and, and, and are just there. And so thank you very much, uh, Reuben and, Al- and Lee, for coming and doing this for us here uh, in this time. It's just wonderful. And we have been doing a, a series. We started a, a series where the third message in, uh, at looking at the book of James, the letter of James, It was a letter written to encourage early Christian believers to live out their faith. It's full of encouragements and challenges to followers of Jesus. And we will see, although it was written almost 2,000 years ago, the struggles and the triumphs of their Christian walk was not that different from our own today. And so the letter of James is down to earth. It's, it's, It's practical. It's gritty. It's real. It's honest. It is the stuff of real and everyday life. And so in our first part, in our first week, James was encouraging believers to to live out faith with endurance, to see tough times as an opportunity to grow, to be stretched. And then Pastor John last week encouraged us from the book, as James did, to listen and to act to listen to the words of God and to live them out, to act them out in our everyday life. And at the end of chapter 1, James 1 verse 27, James writes that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And it's in this thought that he continues It's in this encouragement that real faith means more than just hearing, but in acting it out. To care for those in need and to not be corrupted by the world in which we live. This is what it means to live this new life, a new life in Jesus Christ. And he continues, he he continues to address another practical reality of what faith looks like in real life. Today I have titled the message, No Favourites, because this is where James goes, this is where he turns. 
I read the story of a pastor, Pastor James MacDonald, who who enacted something that many other pastors in history have done. There have been a couple before him. (coughs) He wasn't the first, but he did something uh, quite amazing. Pastor James was a, and is a pastor of a megachurch, which has a number of different campuses. And so, in, in, in addressing the church and what it would mean to love those in their community, before that service, he dressed up as a homeless man and he went and he sat at the entrance of a number of the campuses and of the churches that met. He dressed up with a full beard and a hat and even with a trolley. He came and he sat right out the front of the church entrance with a little sign. And he sat there as people from the church walked in to meet. And uh, you'll see this, you can even find this on YouTube. Um, And then one Sunday, the Sunday that he would preach this message, he actually walked from the back of the church to the front of the stage in the same outfit that he wore out the front of the church. He walked in with his trolley and as he came up to the front of the stage, he took off his wig, he took off his jacket and he revealed who he really was, his true identity. And of course, many would have seen him sitting there and probably understood where this message was going. And then... After a few words of encouragement, he played some video clips of how people treated him. And in this instance, he gives praise to God. For many people in the community stop and offer him food. Many people stop stop and offer him help. Many stop and pray for him and bless him and pour out love. He's able to encourage his community and to thank them for the love that they shared to this unknown homeless person at the time. They were able to offer him help and love. See, this is an example of true faith in action. I thought about dressing up, but there's no one here. (laughs) You're all at home. But what a wonderful example What a wonderful example of believers living out their faith. You see, it reveals the core truth of today's message that real faith has no room for favourites. I'd like you to read with me from James chapter 2 from verses 1 to 13. I encourage you to read with me from, from a Bible. If you don't have one, press pause and go get one. Read along with me and I encourage you as we go through this to keep referring back to the the text because that is what we're doing. That's our reference for this series. We're reading from James chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? 
but you dishonour the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Interesting passage, isn't it? And I wonder if you were reading through that and, and, and you paused and went, wow, these, these are strong words. And they are. James does not mess about, he gets to the point. And there is a very strong point here today. You see, it starts, if you notice, in verse 1. It starts with a claim. It starts with believers in this time claiming that they have faith in Jesus Christ. And yet there seems to be an inconsistency in their faith. And what I love also about this as we look at it is just how, how conversational the passage is. You almost need to read through the lines as you read through this, pa- this passage. You can tell very clearly that he's responding to some very real people in a very real situation. And here we have a group of believers claiming to have faith in Jesus Christ and yet their actions are not lining up with what they are saying. We see here, and James makes it very clear, that these people were favouring some over others. Very clearly he writes and says that favouritism has no place in the body of Christ. There is no room for favourites as followers of Jesus. And we can unpack this in, in, in three ways. There's, there's three main core ideas uh, within this. Firstly is this. There is no room for favourites because in favouritism, or favouritism is self-serving. Have a look in chapter 2 from uh, verses 2. There's this example given. James gives this example of a a rich man that walks on in or a rich person, someone dressed in in fine clothes, maybe Gucci, who knows. And as they walk on in, the stewards or those at the meeting see them and then they usher them in and straight away they they give that person value and, and find them a fine seat. Who knows, maybe this person or these wealthy people are well known. Because something we find as we look back at the original context of this is that in the day that this was written, as in many parts of the world, there were a few who were very wealthy and then many who served those that had and obtained this wealth. They often ruled. They often had power over people so they may have also been very well known. And so here's a person who walks in well dressed, maybe very well known and he was given this prominent seat But then the poor person comes on in, someone not dressed as well, and they're not only ignored, 
They not only ignored or shunned, they said, well, you can stand over here. We have a special poor person section, in, in a sense. Not even that, it doesn't even have seats. Here, see this spot on the floor that we have taped off for you? Go sit over there. Yes, there's an exaggeration in the tale. But verse 4 is, is the, where we come to the very uh, pointy part of the tale. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? We see here, and James names it, that this discrimination shows that the, the, the judgments of these people are guided by evil motives, selfish, self-serving, self-seeking motives. Oh, and that's not like you and I, is it? If we're honest, we can't help but tend to find that we favour those who are prominent or powerful or wealthy. We give value to those who succeed in life and success is often defined as wealth or prominence or power, as I mentioned. And so we can't help in our own way to favour people in such a place. But if we look at the very motive for this, the very reason that we favour people in this place, it is guided by what James would say are evil motives. We favour people to serve our own needs, to gain favour for ourselves. So we show favour maybe to gain some benefit or to, to upgrade our own status because somehow their influence might become ours if they favour us. Maybe their esteem might rub off onto me if I get close enough. Or maybe the love that they receive, the adoration that they receive, the fame that they receive somehow becomes ours. We seek their favour because somehow we esteem them and value them and in doing so think that we might gain favour for ourselves. And so the challenge in these words for us here today is to stop seeking the approval of those who would only benefit you. Stop seeking attention from people in our world who might have fame in the, in the eyes of those around us. Here's the encouragement to love everyone, including those who even by our standards are not important. Love in Romans 12.9, Paul writes these words. He writes a number of encouragements here and I just want to pull out a couple that pertain to this. In Romans 12.9, he writes, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Verse 10, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And I love verse 16 in Romans. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Isn't that an interesting line? Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think that you know it all. Jesus also said in Matthew 5.46, If you love only those who love you, 
What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you were kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And here's the encouragement. To love those who are not easy to love. To love those, not simply because they're easy to love or or because in doing so you might receive something in return, but to simply love them because God loves them. And as you sit there today, I want to ask, I want you to ponder for a moment and think about the people in your own life, maybe the people at your work, maybe the people in your, in your home. Maybe there are people that you find hard to love and so you, you, you sidestep them. Maybe you ignore them. The challenge here today is to intentionally go and to show them love the way that Jesus would. And I wonder what that would look like for you. Depending on the situation, it could be a cup of tea or coffee if they drink coffee. (laughs) It could be a kind word. It could be coming alongside them when nobody else would do so. And that means doing so even if others would look down upon us. For there's no place for favouritism as followers of Jesus. There's another reason. You see, favouritism also contradicts God's values. Now that's a big thought and idea if if you ever thought of one. Favouritism contradicts God's values. And we see this in chapter 2 from verses 5 to 7. We see this where, where God says, or James writes, sorry, that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. He writes, aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? You see, here we have this idea, we get this sense of what God values. God does not value the things that we value. God values things of a spiritual nature. And we're reminded that God values faith. You see, I sat on this idea. God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. What does that mean? And as you think about it, when do we cry out to God? We cry out to God in times when we are often down or poor in spirit or when we're in need. And so when we find ourselves in need, we cry out to him all the more. Our faith increases when we need to depend on him and when we cannot depend on ourselves. And so when we have everything that we need, we don't tend to cry out in faith in the same way. And so there's interesting thought here because God does not value our wealth or how well we have set ourselves up. He values our faith and our dependence on him, which the poor have in abundance. And which we all know if we've been in that place ourselves, we pray and trust God all the more when we find ourselves in a powerless place. The world values the rich and the powerful, the famous, the influencers. And at the moment, have you seen uh, online, everyone's at home and, and there, are, there are more posts than ever before. And there are now social media influencers, people who are simply posting and, and people who f- follow them 
Um, and, and they're usually famous people or they become famous. And at the moment, because we're all isolated, I've noticed how they've come out on social, social media more than ever before. And even if you follow some of the news apps on your mobile, which I do, some of these, um, you know, the famous ones, some of the posts that they're putting online are even making media. And they're, they're quite interesting at some, at some point. But it's funny, these are the ones we follow. These are the ones we want to hear about. Those who are famous and powerful. They're the ones, even in the midst of this situation, are still influencing our world because people look to them. Our world values their opinion because of their, their fame. This is the way our world values. But it contradicts God's values. It reminds me. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but back in the day when I was at school, one of my um, favourite subjects was PE. You can put your hand up if that was you too. Physical education. Some people are shaking their head. I loved it because it wasn't maths or English. Okay, So out of all of that, I think I'd prefer PE. And you got to run around. I had far too energy uh, to contain in a class, to be contained in a classroom. And Jan is sitting here. She happened to be one of my teachers and she's nodding right now. <laughs> Far too much energy. So PE was an opportunity to just to let that energy out. <coughs> However, one of the things I dreaded about this class and probably something that people still have nightmares about today was those times when we would play team sports. And in order to choose teams... Two team captains would be chosen and they were often the favourites of the PE teacher. They were often top of the class and so two or three people, depending on how many teams you needed, would be chosen and it was their task to look at everybody who's lined up and to take in turns to choose the person who they wanted on their team. Was this you? Can you remember this? Maybe you haven't experienced this and if you haven't, awesome. You're all the better for it. Because, of course, what happens? The most talented, the most popular kids get chosen first. And it, it, the line whittles down to that, that horrible and, and dreaded moment and everyone's lining up in fear and saying, please choose me, please choose me. Because no one wants to be who? The last person that nobody chose. And then the teams look at each other and go, oh, I guess you need one more person. Uh, you get them. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're relegated off to the team that is, just needs them. And it's in this moment that everybody's worth and value is simply based upon a person's ability to throw a ball, swing a bat. <laughs> value was placed on us for our ability in this place in sport. And somehow... Somehow our human nature never grows out of this rather crude way of valuing and favouring people. For we tend to value people for what they can do or what they own. But God chooses the poor of this world. Douglas J. Moo in his commentary on the letter of James writes this, God, the New Testament suggests, delights especially to shower his grace on those whom the world has discarded and on those who are most keenly aware of their own inadequacy. 
God delights especially to shower his grace on those whom the world has discarded. And they beautiful words. These are challenging words. And in verse 6, the challenge continues. But you dishonour the poor, says James. You dishonour the very ones that God showers his favour upon. The ones that he chooses to shower his grace upon. And you read between, read between the lines here. He doesn't say it, but in between the lines you can read, instead you honour the rich. And then he says, isn't it they who exploit you? Three questions or three ideas, aren't it? Isn't it the rich who drag you into court? Isn't it the very people, aren't these the very people that slander the name of him to whom you belong? Literally to blaspheme against God? He writes, you seek to favour those who exploit you, who use that power against you and who offend you. It doesn't make sense, writes James. We're called to value people the way God has. And so the call is to not judge by the standards of this world, the natural judgment of things, but to think and to see things like God would see, who sees the poor as rich in faith. He sees that of being real spiritual value. We're called to live by a different value system, not to value people the way our world does. And it's too easy to judge by outward appearance. I was reminded of a a time uh, when I was uh, studying in the city at RMIT and I would often go for walks through through the city and there would often be people, of course, begging or sitting on the the sidewalks or playing, you know, a musical instrument. Sorry. Or even like just one, one, there was one gentleman who used to play... um, uh, Buckets, upturned buckets, not even real, just buckets, and he'd drum on them. And, and people, of course, would give good gifts, to, uh, financial gifts to support him. And uh, I remember being challenged by this, so I, would start to, I started to give where, where I was able. And then uh, one time in particular, um, I stopped to give some uh, to money to this, this man, but someone had told me that, you know, it's not good to give them, just, just give them money, because you don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, and so at that time what I started to do is I'd come and I would sit with them. This one man in particular, I remember, came and sat with him and, and simply asked, would you like something for lunch? I'll take you anywhere you want to go. Um, let, let's just go get you some food. And he, he, he was more than happy and there was a, a pub nearby and I thought, let's go get you a really good pub meal. And, and is that what you'd like? Um, I had time. And he said, no, actually, I just want a meat pie and a Coke from 7-Eleven. That's what he wanted. So we went to 7-Eleven and we got a Coke and a meat pie and I got a meat pie and sat and spoke with him. And then he shared his story. And I discovered that he was once a successful businessman. He had a house. He had a family. He had a career. Life was going well. But his life took a bad turn when his marriage broke apart and his family broke apart. He wasn't able to hold on to his job through this time as depression set in and this downward spiral started to take place in his life which led him to the street, to this very place. And I can remember, sorry, 
looking in his eyes and realising that I could be him. Because he was a normal guy. Just came upon some bad situations and found himself in a place that he never would have imagined. It's too easy to walk past people like him and to think they maybe deserve to be there. Maybe their actions have led them to that place. Maybe they haven't been good people. Maybe they've been lazy. They just haven't worked hard. Maybe they haven't grasped the opportunities that are there before them. But God spoke deeply to my heart that day because that person could have been anyone. God calls us to see people the way he does. To love them, not to judge them, not to show favouritism, but to love and to give them value the way that he does. Because it leads us to this last idea that favouritism violates God's law of love. Violates God's law of love. From verse 8, verses 18 to 13. Violate is a strong word if there is ever a strong word, and intentionally so. And as we read from verse 8, there's this banter, there's this back and fro conversation. You see, as, his, as James has become very, very direct, as he talks about, about God choosing the poor, and, and as, as he, he's very direct and tells them that they dishonour the poor, and as he shares that it's these very people who have the power to abuse them, He continues on in verse 8 with this idea of yes indeed, yes indeed, there's a conversation being that's going on here. Yes indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures to love your neighbour. You see, I can read between the lines. You can read that the the community is saying, wait, you're telling us not to have favourites, but then we shouldn't discriminate the rich, should we? Ah, (laughs) good comeback. So we shouldn't discriminate the poor, but we should also love the rich, shouldn't we, the way God would call us to? And here's the response, yes indeed, it is good when you obey the law to love your neighbour as yourself. That's right, all people, the rich and the poor. Verse 9, but if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You see, here's the issue, this community were favouring the rich. We're called to love the poor, not to disregard the rich, but to love all people in the same manner. As followers of Jesus, we are called to obey him. And God's primary call is to love him and our neighbour. That is the royal law. The royal law to love God with all our hearts, our minds and our soul and to love our neighbour as ourselves. And then throughout the New, the New Testament, many of the letters talk about loving one another. And Jesus encouraged also his disciples to love one another. This is the royal law, to love people as he loves. And when we become believers, we're given the Holy Spirit to empower us to love the way that he does. 
His spirit resides in us when we become believers. So to live out of this law of love is to let the Holy Spirit to lead us to love people the way that he does. The very spirit of God living in us so that we can live the way, uh, love the way he does. Not contrary to his, his ways, but to love in his love. And this is the next part, which is a little confusing if you read it at first. It says, The person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Now James is writing to some Jewish Christians who understand that if all you do is break one law, you've broken all of them. They understood that. They also understood that when Jesus came, he rewrote and he redefined what the law was about. It was all summarised in this one idea to love God and to love our neighbour. This was the royal law. So they understood these words that he says. And so what James is doing is he's reminding them once again. He's reminding them once again to live out of This love. And in verse 12, he comes to this this final point which is very, very strong. So whatever you do or say and whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. You see, what God is showing us here is that he has no favourites. As he pours out mercy and love on us, so he calls us to pour it out onto others. The mercy and the love that he shows us is for all people. And as we receive it, we are to pass it on to those around us, for God has no favourites. We see this idea Time and time again in the New Testament. I want to read a couple of the, 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 the key verses that show this. Matthew 5, 7. For God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Ephesians 4.23 says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Do you you see the the movement as, as God pours out his love on us, so we pour it out on others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Isn't that amazing? He comforts us so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. 1 John 4.19 We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? So he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So the idea is that as God pours out his love on us, we pour it out onto others. And if we don't, 
if we're able to receive it, say, God, yes, just pour out your mercy, pour out your grace, and then we turn to those around us and we don't extend that same love, grace and mercy, it simply shows that we don't understand the love that God has shown us. It shows that he hasn't transformed us. For when we know God's mercy, when we know his spirit living in us, we will extend the same love that God has given us. And this was the one defining characteristic and hallmark of a follower of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the defining attribute of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to share the same love that God has given us. It's what defines us and shows us as being followers of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to share communion. John mentioned that earlier today. And as we move into that place now, I encourage you to get some bread and to, to get your, your cups. You might want to pause the, the stream to do so. Thank you, John. As we come to the table today, as we come to the table today, I hope that we can focus on these words. For God's words and his encouragement and his call to us as his followers is to love people the way that he loves us. Now when he shared these words to his disciples, they hadn't yet seen the cross, but we have. And so I can imagine that when Jesus was dying on that cross out of his immense love for his people, I can see the disciples standing there going, wow, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. To love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. As we come to the table and as we look at the cross, we are reminded again of God's amazing love for us. That God would go, to to extreme lengths to pour out his love on us and to restore us to himself, but not just us as individuals, but us as his community and as his people. So as we look at the cross, we are not only reminded what he has done for ourselves, for me, for you, we are also reminded that he calls us to love in the same way pour out love on those around us. And Jesus went to the cross and he died for the broken. He died for the lost. He died for those who despised him. He died for those who looked at him and spat him in the face. He died for those who would put nails in his hands and in his feet. He would die for those who would laugh at him and mock him. He would love them anyway. So I pray that as we take the cup and the bread,
I pray that you may know God's love in a new way. And I pray that it will move you to shower that love on all of those around you. Not to show favouritism for your own benefit, but to pour out love on those who would give nothing back. Maybe even mock you. I pray that you may go this week and show love the way that Jesus does. I pray that you may go with no favourites. I pray that you may go being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to those that most need it. So we're going to enter into this time and if you're with family, I encourage you to take this together. I'm going to finish and, the, and Reuben and Annalie are going to come and share a song with us. But my words will be the last that will be said because I'd like to encourage you to take that cup and to take that bread and to, to sit with one another. If you're with one other person or with your family, sit together and take this cup together, eat this bread together and then pray for one another. You may like to take some time first and allow this beautiful song just to to wash over you. And if you're there on your own, maybe you're you're isolated and you find yourself alone today in your home, know that the Holy Spirit is with you and know that we celebrate this together in one spirit. We may not be together, but we're able to celebrate this together. And I pray that you may know God's very real peace and his very real presence in this time. So I'm going to pray for the cup and for the bread as Jesus did with his disciples. And then I'm going to sit down and the music team is going to play and and lead us out. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you here next week. We're back. I invite you to come and to join us again. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this cup. I thank you for this bread. May they be for us your broken body and your blood that was poured out for us on the cross. Lord, your encouragement is to see these things, these elements, Lord, and to be reminded of your amazing love for us and of the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. And so we come and we ask, remind us again. Touch our spirits again, we pray. May not this not just be routine, but may we come to you afresh, thanking you for who you are, and knowing your amazing love and your amazing grace. And then, Lord, we also pray that this realisation of who you are and how much you have loved us will move us out to show the same love to those around us, to those on the margins, to those on the sidelines. Help us to love them the way that you have loved us. And we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And we all say, Amen.